0: That's bad. And I like the cell phones on. So if you want to leave the ringers on, that's cool. That gives it a different vibe than we normally get. So don't 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 silence anything. Um, so I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the opposite of Daniel today, and just say go ahead and leave them on. That's good. All right. All right, just uh, just
1: set some
0: of these. Hey everyone, welcome to episode three hundred four of This Is Whole Life. It is a special edition. It happens once a year, but it hasn't happened for the last two years due to something that we, well, it, should I say it? No. No? Yes. No. I want to know what you're going to say. Yes. Well, yeah. we found, we found. He would
2: want it, he would want it said because it, he is true. the whole reason this he happened. He is the whole so. reason it
0: happened. So if you missed church retreat for the last two years, our special guest today is Dr. Peter Enns. And um, he admitted last night to the whole group. I don't know if it was recorded, but he did... Uh, Claim responsibility for COVID. Yeah, and the good news is God answers prayers. It's true. So if you can just if you can just keep that in mind as you go about uh, not blaming Him, that would be great, and a little forgiveness in your heart would also be uh, a welcome a welcome thing for that. But seriously, we we don't get a chance to do this very often, and we don't always get a chance to have our guest speakers when they come to the church we have scheduling and they have flights to catch. They have other things to do. And so we don't always get a chance to maybe ask the questions that we would like to do or um, the answers if there are some, or if it's uh, if, if there isn't, but we don't get a chance to maybe go a little bit deeper like we do each week on the podcast. And so this is a treat for us. And I've already really enjoyed the time that we've gotten to spend um, listening to Peter and it seems that what you've talked about is probably the thing that i would say every christian struggles with on a regular basis and yet what you're saying is that if we kind of if we spend a little more time on the hands-on things that are obvious about what jesus gave us to do love each other <laughs> take care of each other and do the things that aren't impossible or things that we can actually understand not that it makes it easy but that we would maybe have a little bit easier time when we have these questions or when we get into topics that we either just can't understand, or maybe when God is in the quiet and Mm -hmm. we don't hear him. And why doesn't, why doesn't it make it easier though (laughs) when, when you still want those questions answered or you still want uh, that, um, that why or that how come or, I don't feel you. Why doesn't it make it easier? Even if we buy in totally to what you said today and last night, why doesn't it make it easier for us? What is it about us that causes it to still feel like we're we're missing out on something?
3: Yeah, I mean that's a a good couple of questions sort of folded in there. In the, and um, yeah. I just I think it's because we're so used to. We've been taught that. What it means to have faith means some sense of unquestioned presence of God on a fairly regular basis, right? If you just have your devotions in the morning, the Spirit magically shows up and gives you all the right answers, and you go off with your day, and everything's fine, Um, which is a very, um, I'm going to say, a privileged point of view, because there are people in the world who don't have that luxury at all. Right. So you know, how, how do they commune with God when they don't have their morning devotions? Because they don't have Bibles, and they don't have coffee mugs. You know, how, how, do you ha- how do you do that other like coffee? I don't know how they do it. But, um, so I think that's part of it, because I think we're all in the West, largely, this is a blanket statement, but I'm, I'll, I'll stand by it. I think we're largely programmed for a certain kind of way of communing with God, which tends to be very intellectualized. Mm. Even if the arguments aren't good ones it's still an intellectualized kind of faith, right? Um, and I, I, that's, that's one reason. And I think we're not really programmed to be more whole-bodied kinds of Christians who are, uh, well, let me, let me put it this way. <clears throat> I, I belong to a liturgically oriented communion, the Episcopal Church. I haven't joined because I'm done with church membership personally. And, and when, I, when I join a church, what always happens, I either go in all whole hog, and I become a horrible person to live with, or I always <laughs> look for problems then that I can fight against. And that's my personality. So I've been going to an Episcopal church for 12 years, and being very active. It's a beautiful communion. Um, the, the, the thing about liturgy, okay? All churches have liturgies, but they are different kinds of liturgies, right? The liturgy of the Episcopal Church and Roman Catholic Church and Orthodoxy, there is a lot of repetition of things. And the thing is, when you do that, it sort of eventually seeps into you so that when you have trouble believing, there's language that comes back. Now, I think most Christians have that with hymns. I remember hymns, right? I remember passages of the Bible, but there are other things to remember too. And the liturgy is there as you're saying things, reciting the Nicene Creed or something in the morning, when you don't believe half of it, you're around people who are going to help you believe and believe with you, and, and if need be, for you, if you just can't do it, but you want to be there anyway, right? Um, and, and things like, um, you know, acts of kindness, you know, uh, donating to Ukraine, you know, what I heard this morning, or, or just being good, kind people to each other, that is a way of experiencing God, too, that transcends our intellect or maybe infuses our intellect a little bit. So I I think that's maybe one reason, because those other things, I mean, I've been to parts of churches where all that other stuff is, yeah, it's nice if you can get to it, but the real thing is making sure you're (laughs) right about everything, right? And um, to me, I think that's sort of an an endemic in, 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 um, in Western Christianity. Again, that's a very sweeping kind of statement, but I'll, I'll stand by it. I think that's a recurring problem of an over-intellectualizing of the faith and and not having room for other things that are, I think, biblically speaking, a lot more important and a lot more central. Which isn't to, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm, ram- I'm rambling here, but it no, doesn't mean ahead. the intellect is bad, right? It, right. It just means putting it in its place.
0: That's all, yeah. So how do you go about now in in this new place that you're at where you you kind of described it to us this morning? And where you're you know maybe setting aside a few of those questions that you're just maybe not going <laughs> to maybe not going to answer or do you leave one or two just hanging out there that you're you're praying over or you're studying on or how do you, how do you find balance cuz i also feel like if you just go well certain things can't be known and i can't understand this then maybe i'm missing out on something that god has for me mm-hmm. I, i'm just not in it long enough I, I don't know if
3: that's a good yeah i mean i keep Thinking about things I don't understand, you know, because I'm not really <laughs> satisfied. Just oh well, um, but at the end of the day, I think we're all going to say some sort of an oh well, you know, because we don't really <laughs> grasp it. And and I think part of you know my journey, and yeah, this is mine and maybe other people's too, but it it's been decentering my mind, okay, decentering my analytical mind, and because that gets in the way a lot. You know, and again, I hear people say that who don't like academic stuff, and it sort of irritates me, like, you don't even know what you're saying. But, you know, um, (laughs) but I, I live in it. And ironically, it's because of that academic world that I've lived in that I've seen how it can only carry you so far. Right. So something else has to take its place. And lo and behold, there's all sorts of stuff the church has been talking about for 2,000 years that are a part of that. And I, I, I try to just live into that a little bit you know, as I think through this stuff. And there are plenty of things I, I, I know that I'll never know. Yeah. But it's okay because I get to try to think about them and figure them out as best as I can. And when I've done that, I have to say to myself, okay, that's not a bad placeholder. For now, (laughs) right? Yeah, sure. And I'm sort of counting on God understanding that—that I'm just doing the best that I can with my very limited context as one, you know, a white male living in Philadelphia. I mean, I don't think the secrets of the universe are open to me, you know. Um, So I just—I want to be who I am and just respect who I am, but also respect my limitations and and just keep walking forward and but without a sense of pressure, you know, because if if you believe that that the spirit of God is in and around you, and I believe the spirit of God is in everybody and everything, I, I think there isn't a corner of creation that's sort of separate from the presence of God, it's all good.
4: You know, it's all yeah. good. It's going to yeah. be fine.
3: You know, doesn't mean I can think what I want to. I can say <coughs> all sorts of stupid things. I need to be corrected. I need to be convicted about things. But it's... The journey is fine. It's what we're on. It's what I'm on, and I'm I'm perfectly happy with that. I'm. Hey Jeff, <coughs> well, I was just thinking. Oh it, no, the therapist. <laughs> How am I doing, Jeff? <laughs> well,
5: it, it it feels a little. <laughs> it feels Pete like what you're saying. Talk, tell, <laughs> tell us about your dad, yeah, Pete. Yeah. How's that? We'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, it does sort of feel like a luxury in a way for, you know, for, for those of us that are here, you know, it, it's kind of nice. Matter of fact, I appreciate what you've done to help us understand how the Bible can be read and looked at from not so much a proof texting way or a, a way to, to establish a doctrine or a teaching. I think we get a chance to do that, but for the parents that are here, Uh, we still have to tell our children, you know, you're going to church this morning. Right. And the child goes, why? Because I said so. And (laughs) That's a great one. And that's where it goes. And so how do we... Been there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. How how do we as parents, and I'm past it, so like I said, I get this luxury of... But how do we as parents uh, take this aspect of doubt and the child's crying out for some kind of clarity... Um, how, do we, how do we work that through in, in our yeah. children?
3: I mean, I, I, I ponder that question because I'm not sure. If, I don't think I did it well mm-hmm. myself. And my daughter, um, Liz, who has two children, they're four and two, she's determined to think of a different way of doing it rather than, you know, I mean, she heard her whole life in churches just praying, God will take care of you, nothing bad will happen. Yeah. Well, she figured out by the time she was six, that doesn't happen. People are dying all over the place, you know. Um, God loves you. And then she reads stories about you know, the Egyptian army drowning in the, in the Red Sea. <laughs> and she asked me once, she said, you know, aren't they God's children too? Mm. And I'm like, don't talk to me. I, I don't have time to talk to <laughs> you. Know? But it's true. And, and I think um, what, see, this is, uh, again, I'm not part of your world. Right. I mean, and, and I know each each iteration of Christianity, each denomination, each church has its own things to work through. Right. So I can't speak into that. You know, the, the way I, I wish maybe that I, I could. I, I don't know, but um, I, I think what I'm seeing happening from teaching college students and from trying to pay attention to mothers who ask me that question have been asking me for years. Mm-hmm. I think the future of Christianity in the West is going to be about creating cultures in home and homes where they're going to uh, create a, a culture of being able to ask questions and it's okay mm-hmm. right yep. um, yeah it's like when I was telling talking to my son we were when he was six, we had just moved and um, we got out of our Read the Bible every morning routine, and so let's get back into it for God. So we're reading the. Um, that was cynical, but I have a reason <laughs> for that. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. However, um, with with uh, my son Eric, uh, we decide. I don't know what made me read Genesis chapter three, the the, the serpent and all that stuff, and so I'm reading to him the story, and um, as I'm reading, he goes. <sighs> So I just kept reading, and he goes. <sighs> <laughs> so I ignored him, as a good father. I kept going. I, said, I finally said, "Eric, what's wrong?" He goes, "Dad, snakes can't talk." <laughs> <laughs> now the thing is, you know, I'm going to say I think he's right. Snakes, we don't. And if you say you heard a snake talking, you're probably going to like report somebody for so thinking that. But. Um, and I know, I know creation is an issue, you know, in, in the Adventist church, and I respect that. I'm not, I'm not speaking to that specifically. I'm speaking more into creating a culture where your kid can ask that question. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to tell him to shut up. And I, I'm thankfully, I mean, it's one of these times I think the spirit just sort of did that to me, and I didn't sort of say, like, I wanted to say, Eric, shh, he may hear you. <laughs> Don't say that, right? But instead I said, Eric, you know, if, that's, if you feel that way, tell God that, right? And it, I think that was a good thing to say to him, right? So um, creating um, a culture where it's okay to sort of wander off the beach blanket now and then or to color outside the lines, but again, where church attendance is really strongly expected for children, you have to go and they'll go up to when my um when my daughter was 14
5: mm-hmm.
3: come on so if you time to go to church i'm not going yes you are no i'm not <laughs> yes you are no i'm not why not i don't believe that stuff anymore like what are what do you do in that situation you know did you fail as a parent i don't think so i mean i but plenty of failures as a parent don't don't get me wrong but i don't know <laughs> um or you know it, it's just uh i don't know what to do in a situation like that other than this is where this young person is and the last thing they need from me is to be judged and shamed mm-hmm. for not doing things forgive me that might make me look bad in church yeah and to that i say you have to say to hell with that that's not right that's not going to that's not the grace of god that's not the love of god so what what do we do but again, the expectation—I I get it. You mm-hmm. know, I've been in other church communions where that's a big thing, and um, I, I can't—I can't presume to suggest what to do in a situation like that. You know, other than maybe lighten up on it a little bit. Mm-hmm. But, um, I don't, but you know, again, I, I, the thing is that there's a tradition here—a strong academic tradition in this denomination. So they, that's valued. That's like a core
0: value of the denomination. So that's—that's that's a hard thing to think about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think just from I mean my perspective here um, at Whole Life Church, I think we have a culture already in place that is open to that. Where they're you know, we're we're open to discussions. We're open to hard topics. I don't think we shy away from them in any way. And I think that's part of um, when you were talking this morning. I was just thinking about if we're if we're going to look at things the way you suggested, how community might be the most important part of what you're talking about because it often feels like enough when God is in those silent periods and we're wondering and we're asking and we don't know. And sometimes it doesn't have to be, you know, why, you know, why, what's heaven like, or, you know, what what are the cosmos like? It's like, how come I can't pay my bills and I'm working, you know, two jobs and I can't get a break and my kids don't want to go to church. And I just need an answer to one of these. Mm -hmm. Like, don't, you know, I don't need it all. I just want one. Mm -hmm. And, and i I feel like the, really the community that you just described is what we've been kind of working towards. And I feel like that's where Ken has even been, you know, hyper, almost hyper focused on us as a family. And I've really appreciated that because if for the same reasons you just mentioned, if that was how I was raised, where it was like, yeah, it, this is an expectation. And there would be plenty of of church members, maybe meaning, well, I didn't feel like it. But, you know, there was, there was 101 reasons you were going to hell, but there were very few reasons that there was anything positive or good or, you know, and heaven was just this, or, and salvation was just this thing at the end. There was never any of it in the now. And, and I just, I, I think about it, and I, I don't have the answer, but what that looks like for us as a church community moving forward, I think we have a lot of things we do pretty good, but where we could really sharpen, Ken? I wanted wanted to throw that one uh, you're just sitting there I I was was
2: looking forward to Peter's answer to that I was (laughs) was, was really looking forward to that I think for us as a family um, there's got to be a recognition that it's okay for us to think outside the lines and and not only is it okay but it's encouraged Um, you know I am I am a rather proud Seventh-day Adventist, and what I'm proud of the most is the way that the Seventh-day Adventist church started. It started with a group of people who questioned everything in the Bible. They, nothing was off the table, everything was on the table for questioning. We had people in our denomination who are anti-Trinitarian. We had those that were Trinitarian. We had people who, who believed one thing about Daniel and Revelation and people who believed a completely different thing about Daniel and Revelation. There were people who believed all kinds of different things, and that was one of the beautiful things is that we started off as a creedless church. The idea was you believe what God inspires you to believe. Of course, we have some commonality here. There's going to be some common organizational structure. But question why do we go to church on Sunday? Why are we doing that? why do we why does the Bible say to not eat certain foods and Unfortunately, we've begun worshiping certain parts of <laughs> of our of our doctrine that weren't meant to be worshipped but were there to be um useful as a life, not as a as as prescriptive for everybody um and so. You know, I really appreciate so much what Pete's been talking about because there is a growing fear in certain circles of Christianity and the 7th Adventist Church of education and of going and actually learning more. I've actually heard this in some of the circles that I walk in is, well, you don't want to really go too far because you'll, you'll learn too much and it'll make you question your faith. Oh, wow. And I'm sure I'm not the only person who's heard that. And so I guess, Pete, one of the things I'd, I'd ask you is, I think that you know, you kind of talked about how you went on, got further education. It did kind of shake a little bit of your faith because you learned more. But do you think it was worth it? Yeah.
3: What? Yeah. <laughs> Good answer. But there was a lot of pain, in it wasn't there. Um, there, there were some. Um, there was pain in terms of my relationship to my community, but not pain inside of me. Right. I felt very right about it, but I did feel a little bit scared sometimes, you know. I, I, um, three, two months into my doctoral program, something had been nagging me for a while, and I rode my bike home like I did every day, and I just parked it in the back, and I walked into the kitchen... And I just sort of stared at the refrigerator for about five minutes, because some things were just falling apart for me. And the thing is that the things that were falling apart made complete sense. I understood how the pieces were coming together. And you know, you pick up on some of these things, like the, the thing, the bolt of the tumbler was just coming together, and. Um, I just remember having this conversation with my refrigerator one day. Did, I didn't get an answer, I was hoping to, but just, I don't know. I'm not sure I really believe this part of the Old Testament or that. But not believe, like, it was, the reality is different than what I've been taught. It's not a matter of believing it or not believing it, right? It's a matter of, you know, was Abraham necessarily a person or was he a representative of something that Israel used to tell a story? There are different opinions on that. I'm just saying, it, the, the fact that it's a question, right? Um, h- how much evidence is there for the Exodus story from an archaeological point of view? It's not a matter of whether it happened or not. It's like, how do you understand that story? That's an open question. People talk about that all the time. And I could see these are extremely valid academic questions to be asking. They're not silly questions by people who hate Jesus, right? So I had to um, I, I had to get into that a little bit and to to respect. I guess, where that journey was going at that point, you know, and, um, and back to kids, you know, you're not going to dump that on a five-year-old, but <laughs> um, I think, uh, you know, my, my granddaughter's four and my daughter, I said, said, she's really determined not to teach her things about God that she's going to literally need therapy for in her 20s. And, but she says, how do you do that? And the thing is that I think there are people in this generation who are trying to figure that out. Because the Christian faith has content. Yeah. How much content? I mean, uh, not to go on but on, but uh, a friend of mine once said this. It, it made so much sense to me. He says, think of like con- three concentric circles. The center is dogma. Dogma is that without which you don't really have Christianity. The circle around it is doctrine. It, that's what makes individual Christian communities different, like Saturday, Sabbath, for example, right? And the outside is opinion. Should you have a drum set in church or not, right? And the definition of a fundamentalist is they put everything in the dogma category, Mm -hmm. and the definition of a liberal, I hate those words, but the definition of liberal is everything's (laughs) in the opinion category, right? So the question is how do you maintain, let's say doctrinal things that are important to a community, and maintaining dogma, but also knowing what the opinion is, and maybe having little gates between the circles where you can sort of have the freedom to discuss some of these things, because things that some people think is a dogma, like infant baptism, like without that, everything falls apart, right? Is that a dogma, is that a dogma? Can we talk about that? Should this Should this be shifted into that category instead of this category? And, you know, that's why I can't presume to speak for this communion because, you know, how to do this with kids, it's not a matter of do you keep the Adventist church or do you throw it into the garbage can? It's a matter of how do you adapt and how do you, frankly, evolve as a congregation and what does it mean to adapt and to evolve? And that's context specific. You know, you don't have to become Lutherans or something like that or or anything else. It's just it's who you are and how how much are you willing to consciously adapt to changes? And that sounds like a horrible thing to think about. But I won't get on my soapbox, but the entire biblical story is about adaptations over time. It's a beautiful thing to behold. Later authors arguing with Job. Right from yesterday, that the job is arguing with Deuteronomy on some level, because Deuteronomy has the same position that his friends had. You must have done something wrong because God's cursing you. Right? God wouldn't curse you if you're righteous. See, I mean, it goes. The New Testament exists. The Christian faith exists because of adaptations that were made to the story of Israel. Land doesn't matter anymore. What? Are you crazy? <laughs> you know. Temple, I'm the temple, oh yeah, whatever Jesus, that's great, that's fantastic. I mean, all these things that were central to Judaism. So Judaism wasn't thrown out, it was adapted, right? And the thing is that every denomination has to do that. Every Christian has to do that, is to adapt to the world around us somehow. And I think if we really believe in the incarnation in, a God who incarnates, whatever that means, and frankly, I don't know what it means, because that's, that's one of the core mysteries of the Christian faith. Well, Jesus is God and man. Yeah, what does that mean? <laughs> it, it, you believe it, but you don't understand it. That's the mystery, right? So, But if we have an incarnating God, we should be able to handle a God who can handle our adaptations as we live out this human drama that we're a part of. The problem is that not everybody thinks that's right. So how do you have a conversation with adapters and non-adapters, right? And welcome to most of Christianity through its history, I think, at that point, right? So it's that's nothing new, you know.
0: I love this morning when you talked about the mystery of God and my mind immediately I don't know what you said after that, because my my mind was immediately going to this to this um, to probably everything I've ever thought about God or think I know about God or who God might seem to be to me. And but I was wondering in that process, because it's very easy to get lost. It's very easy to, to have no, nothing definitive. There's no, no black or white or, or hard evidence or whatever, however you want to put it. So where do we find, what's trust inducing about that mystery? What makes it, is it just because of the, the grandeur of it? The, what we can understand, it must be so good that we have to trust it. And that was a question that um, I've been struggling with since that point this morning. I don't know why that was the piece that grabbed me, but the mystery grabbed me. And then, you know, we're talking about trust, and that's something we all would love to be better at. What, what part of that do you think, or how can we, how can we put those two together? Yeah.
3: Um, I let me let me answer it this way. Coming back to what you just said um a question i get a lot from pastors is uh, fairly conservative pastors who say you know pete i read your stuff and i've listened to the podcast and i'm reading some other people and i get it (laughs) you know the bible is not what i thought it was (laughs) and the bible is not my foundation and i get it but i need a foundation and my answer is always you don't get to have one not yet you haven't earned the right you can't you can't Fill that vacuum like that. Like, okay, I got the mystery thing, but I still want something to hold on to. Maybe that's that Mother Teresa story, you know, that you actually, you have to learn to not want that. And then part of, I think, the task of doing theology, and we're all doing theology, folks. Every one of us is doing theology on some level, right? The task of theology, and I think the task of the Christian life, is to walk along that so that those questions might be more answerable in a year, or in five years, and along the way you're trying to trust God that I used to have this set of answers. They don't work. you got to give me another set of answers real quick because I can't. No, that's the whole problem is that you have to have these set of answers. Some answers are great. It's the needing to have them. It's almost a neurotic anxiety of being without um, an anchor as we define anchor. What if God is the anchor? Mm. Yeah. not our understanding of God, right? And that's why, you know, I think when I wrote about this in The Sin of Certainty, but when you feel abandoned by God, you might actually be being abandoned by the God that you created. Oh. And who doesn't do that? Ouch. And maybe that's God's move. Say, we need to stop. You know, this, and, and thank God, right, for those moments and those times. And I don't say that lightly because especially if you got, there's nothing worse than a parent going through some sort of a crisis and they've got kids. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to tell them, right? And that's, that is very, very hard. But I got my own problems. I can't solve your problems, too. You're gonna have to, you know, work through that. And, and uh, you know, I'm being a little facetious here. But um, I, I think that is part of the journey of faith. And here's the thing. The thing that I found to be, and it, this has helped me a lot. Somebody said this to me years ago. Um, working it out trying to work it out, is theology. Think about that. It's not, it's that. Theology isn't, okay, now I have it all worked out. Here's how the pieces fit together. I will now go on with living. No, it's, it's actually the act of living and being confused and seeking some sort of clarity, right? Well, clarity is not a bad thing. I'm not proclaiming that. Just sometimes you don't have it, right? Yeah. Um, you don't always have certainty, but you can have conviction. And you can hold that warmly with humility and with, uh, with love for others and not as a, a sword to, to lop somebody else's head off that you disagree with. I, I think it's actually without the struggles, I don't think we learn how to love properly. Because I've been much more patient with people in my life because of my own journey of, of faith. And, and, I, and I think that's a good thing for me to, to, um, to have learned. So, yeah, I, you know, what do you replace it with? It's something that you don't even imagine at this point. That's what hmm. it's gonna be replaced with. But in the meantime, you might not have the answers that maybe other people are expecting you to give, which is hard yeah. if you're part of a communion or if you're getting paid to talk about this stuff, <laughs> right? right? We're teaching in schools and things like that. You know, it doesn't work very well. I thought he was gonna have a lot more answers than he did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: So, I mean, we, we've kind of, you know, taken the floor here. And so, is anyone have any questions? Anyone have any comments? Please um, step up and uh, let us hear them. Far sure. too
3: many eager people to get up <laughs> here. Oh, that oh, just uh-oh. bothers me. So... so, <laughs> so um
6: I actually wanted to put you on the spot a little bit about something that's already been talked about. Okay. Because I have my 14 and 15 year old right there, okay. and they are looking at me like they're going to kill me afterwards. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and they probably will. Yeah. And they, and, they, and they might try, but uh, but but the, the thing is, uh, yeah. actually, and I would have loved for my 14, my 15 year old, to actually ask the question, but I don't think she's going to have the, you know, the yeah. fortitude to cope. Uh, to it, come up, so. yeah. but you do apparently, <laughs> <laughs> and you're so, not embarrassing them at all. Which somebody, is great. Okay. so somebody has to. <laughs> but uh, but this this is the thing. Um, we've been talking, by the way, uh, for the last couple of years. Whenever we have a trip that's more than an hour long, uh, mm-hmm. we've been listening to you guys uh, okay. uh, on the on the podcast. Thank you. Yeah. And um, she's been reading the Bible, uh, you know, with this plan for a year and a half. Like there are many of them out there, and she's in the book of Judges. Uh, and of course, we've had so many questions. Um, exactly. <laughs> yes. And uh, and yeah. the, the, the most recent one is Sansom. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, we've always grown up and we've taught them that the Bible is a little more special than maybe you know uh, I don't know some other book, and it's got something more for us than some other book. And it's uh, that and we believe, I guess, by faith that uh, that uh, God has been involved in it. Mm-hmm. So we give it more value, mm-hmm. um, if you will. But now with all these Old Testament stories, I'll be honest, I wish she would have started with just the New Testament, mm-hmm. but, uh, but no, she went for the good stuff. Um, uh, and now, you know, I guess I'm coming back to in a, a little more specifically, if it's at all, of course, you know, don't tell me that, you know, that, that you're not going to give me clarity. But uh, <laughs> how, how do we address as parents uh, with your view of how to mm-hmm. read and interpret the Bible, if you will, you know mm-hmm. when our kiddos are actually wanting to read, right? And you know, and they say, "Did God really inspire this?" You know, this says here that you know God is the one that did all this through Samson, and you know, right. and he killed all these. You get that? So. Yeah. Oh yeah.
3: I mean, to me, that's actually probably the most common question I get from college students. You know, because because of how they were raised and. Um, the the thing that I learned, um, some, I'm not sure if uh, the person's here today, but somebody at the 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 coffee, the Joe and Bible thing, Nathan, whatever you did, uh, the what is that called again? Yeah, that thing. Jesus in a cup of Joe. Anyway, somebody yeah. mentioned Judaism and, and Jewish approaches to Scripture, which is extremely valuable. Two of my professors, my two closest professors, were both Jewish. <clears throat> Boy, was that interesting, getting run through the ringer and um, all my Protestant assumptions, but. The thing about Judaism is that you're allowed to debate the text. You're allowed to interrogate it. You're allowed to interrogate God. You know, go figure that one out, right? And, and my, one of my professors, John Levinson is his name, he, he said once um, the difference between Jews and Christians in terms of the Bible, in terms of its interpretation, is for Jews the Bible is a problem you sort of get to solve for Christians it's a message that has to be proclaimed. So you can't you can't you can't look at things like you know the command to kill all the Canaanites and take their land. Well, what a beautiful sovereign God we have. You're not allowed to interrogate that. The fact is that the the Old Testament itself later interrogates that. That's the beautiful thing about this literature. You have to keep reading, right? And it's perfectly again, this is It's easy for me to say, because I don't have a 14, 50 year old at home, and I don't know if I would have said this back then, but I wish I would have. It's okay to say, "Ugh." (laughs) it's okay to say, I don't I don't get this at all. This is, you know, kill everybody and take their land. Because you're if they if you don't, you might worship their gods, and I only want you to worship me. And as one of my students said once, it seems like God's really into himself. (laughs) You know. (laughs) But the thing is, on the other hand. This is part of, uh, I think, the bigger question here, and this is the hard one because it has so many moving parts. It just does, and it's unavoidable. The, the bigger issue here is the nature of the Bible. And not to caricature too much, but maybe you've, you've heard these sort of options. I don't think the Bible is God's love letter to us. I think the Bible is my opinion. This is my opinion on the Bible. The Bible is a record of people of faith from ancient times who are trying to understand God as best as they can in their context where, guess what? All the gods were violent. But as you keep reading the Bible, God gets less violent. Like, God loves the Syrians in the book of Jonah. He wants them to be saved. Jonah doesn't, but God does, right? (laughs) It's just the, the Bible is not... You know, it's all God's words, so it's all like um, almost scientific data for putting the pieces together. But it's not. It's a narrative. It's a story. And it has high points and low points, and it has has internal debates. There are internal debates in the New Testament. The Gospels differ. Paul and James didn't get along. Read Galatians chapter 2. Read James and compare it to Galatians, just the letters. And it's like, these guys are on opposite pages when it comes to works and faith. Very, James is very Jewish. Paul is less so, you know. Um, that, to me, that's a beautiful thing. So when you, when you enter uh, the act of reading the Bible, it's like I, I get to just be honest and to voice something that might be bothering me. And, you know, as Christians, I think we can say pretty quickly, I don't think Jesus would want us to go and take other people's land away from them. And I think the Jews... By the way, Jews have come to the same conclusion, right? After the Bible. There, there's a whole Jewish tradition called Judaism, you know, and they're dealing with all this stuff. It's not just Christians, right? But to me, that's a beautiful thing, and that encourages an adult approach to the Bible, an adult, a, 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 um, a faithful reading, but also one that is not afraid to question the Bible, because I think the Bible questions itself, first of all, and I, I don't think. It's too diverse a book; it's too all over the place to act as a roadmap for everything you, every question you want to ask. Because there are places again. Should I say this? Yeah. Yeah. Are you do you not know I'm going to say. So, yeah. Okay. There are contradictions I'm a in bit the more Bible. On the fence. Just so okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, nobody cares what you think. It's yeah, just true. the pastor. <laughs> uh, there, there are contradictions in the Bible, and I don't say I don't think God contradicts himself. But I think authors living hundreds of years apart in different contexts will have a different take on God.
6: Mm.
3: Yeah, That is a beautiful, beautiful thing in our Bible. And you know what? All these Jews after the exile who put the Bible together, they weren't stupid. They knew that. They knew Job was not really the kind of orthodox book you're going to put in a Bible. You're going to stick with Deuteronomy or Proverbs or things like that. But they valued that multiplicity of voices, right? And Joshua is one of those voices in the book, right? So you read it, frankly, with curiosity. Say, what, what do I take from this? And sometimes it's okay to say, at this point in my life, I take absolutely nothing from this. I've been at this for a long time. I get nothing out of First and Second Kings. It, I really don't. It's a list of all the kings. Here's all that they did wrong. And the moral of the story is, well, that went horribly, the monarchy. <laughs> let's never do that again. And if we do, let's make sure we don't land into exile ever again. It's just, it doesn't really apply to me that much. I can, I can work with it and try to make it apply to myself, but it just doesn't speak to me as much as a book like Jonah, which says, tear down your nationalistic, tribalistic boundaries, and maybe God cares for people outside of Israel, right? Mm, well. But there are other days when you know other years where people like attracted to other books. That's fine. It's this library of books. It's fantastic. It's beautiful, right? And just it's okay. You know? So go ahead. Just keep reading. But you want to get to some psalms sooner or later. <laughs> Maybe read Mark's Gospel is the shortest.
1: You know, so. First of all, I'm so happy that this is happening. I really love our church. Been a part of it for a long time. And I do think we have institutionalized in our congregation, this acceptance of question in the in the adult realm, I think there is something that I think is missing, and I'm curious if you've seen it's in a successful application. I think you mentioned Judaism in a way that gives hope that there's a way to approach Bible study that encourages some critical thought and analysis, and some some mystery and some trust. I'm curious. Back to the thing about kids, how do you I'm not satisfied with the idea that parents are going to figure it out. I think you're right, but I'm not happy that that's an answer we're going to just accept and lift with because if there is a crisis that we know a portion of a congregation is going to enter, we as a church should come up with a supportive, institutionalized template for Mm -hmm. help and framework. And I think when you talk about caricaturizing scripture. I think we literally do that in our children's programming when the story of Esther and Samson literally become cartoons Mm
6: -hmm.
1: that are intentionally made concrete because we think that kids are yearning for that, and I think no one's yearning for concrete more than a new parent, including (laughs) their children. (laughs) I don't think children are desperate for concrete as much as their parents are. Mm -hmm. And so, I think How do we as an organization, as an institution, create content for little ones? How do we prioritize that so that we're not having continual therapists come to, not that (laughs) I don't wanna minimize your efforts in helping adults solve some baggage, but our church has been solving children's baggage for a long time in the adult room. So how do we institutionalize a way of approaching Bible education or more importantly, Christian education, in the early years where we're not encouraging certainty, but we're encouraging uncertainty and mystery? Mm -hmm. And have you seen any organizations that are institutionalizing that value?
3: Um,
1: I think you're more likely
3: to find that outside of um, what I would call biblicistic churches. you know what I mean by that? A, a biblicistic churches. It's um, in in America, at least, many churches were founded. I mean, there's you know, so and so Bible Church. At least we have up in the Northeast, right? So, because we stand on the Bible and the Bible alone, so it's biblicistic, meaning this is our essentially our rule book. I mean, Adventists seem to have that kind of a history, right? So. Um, that's a biblicistic church and that's Baptists. That's, you know, certain kinds of Presbyterians, it's certain kinds of Methodists, whatever. Um, at least in their history, Nazarenes, you know, I was part of the Nazarene church for a few years, years back. So I think biblicistic churches will have a more difficult time with that. I think churches that predate evangelicalism Episcopal, Catholic in a lot of respects, Orthodox churches, uh, Lutheran, uh, you know, older kinds of Methodists and their other denominations, they don't have as much of a problem with this because it's not part of the denominational DNA to be, quote, biblical. You know, I, um, ever hear of the Wesleyan quadrilateral? Okay. Anybody, just, just a few people. Yeah, I, I love that. It's, you know, our knowledge, our theological knowledge is based on an interplay between scripture, our reason, our tradition, and our experience. Boy, that makes a lot of sense, you know? <laughs> the Episcopalians have a three-legged stool. It's scripture, experience, and tradition. You know, ex- uh, scripture, reason, and tradition. I think they leave experience out, but all those three things are experiences anyway. So... Um, but it, see, those are non-biblicistic ways of thinking theologically, and that's passed on. I know in the Episcopal Church, um, I wandered in there once uh, years ago when my mother was, uh, my, mother, my mother, that was a Freudian sleep, my wife. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hi, hi, mother. Can we, this is being edited, right? Okay, yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think Sue will listen to this. Anyway, sure. But um, where uh, she was helping out. And, you know, I've been in plenty of Sunday school classes in my life with kids, just picking them up and things. I never taught kids Sunday school. Never would I teach children Sunday school. Hardest thing I ever did was write a curriculum for little kids. I You haven't lived until you've explained a Pharisee to a six-year-old. <laughs> but I mean explained a Pharisee, not the caricature they hated Jesus, but just what is a Pharisee and why should we care? Anyway, um, so we're in there, and and I— I'm expecting like normal Sunday school stuff. You know, here you cut this thing out, you color that, you know, whatever. And what I see is two things. I see on the wall, it probably is long, almost as long as this wall here, uh, butcher paper, you know, b- those big butcher paper things. And on it is a timeline of history. And guess what the first thing is on that timeline? It's not Adam and Eve. It's the Big Bang. Hmm. And they got like cosmological stuff and okay, this Episcopal Church, the first historical thing is at Abraham. Because they're taught that these stories at the beginning, they're, they're metaphorical. You know, you can say mythical if you want to, but that doesn't help a lot of people. They're highly symbolic, metaphorical stories, right? Um, but then it goes, you know, then it takes sort of the timeline and traces it to, to now. And I thought that was okay, that's interesting. You're, you're not setting them up needing that therapy later on when they go to high school and they learn some biology or something Um, but the second thing is that what they were learning was the liturgy of the church they're being prepared to enter a worshiping community not prepared to being bible experts or apologists as opposed to again am i stepping on toes i really don't want to but it's illustrative ken ham you guys know ken ham is he doesn't like me at all, that's okay. Um, but I've talked with some of the young kids that are part of that world, and we call them hamites, you know. but, um, <laughs> but these, are, these are beautiful young kids who have all the answers memorized. That's, that's what it means to be a Christian, you have all the answers, you have certainty. And I remember, I was at a conference once, long story, but I was talking to a bunch of them at, at a book table for like an hour, And five years later, one of them actually found me and emailed me and said, I've left that whole movement. I just want to thank you for giving me the freedom to think outside of that, right? But that's very unusual, you know? And I think the way to do what you're asking here, again, that's very context-specific in my opinion, and you're not doing it, though, alone. You're doing it as part of a denomination, which I think I'm sensing you're saying is part of the problem. And I don't say that in a, in, a, in a demeaning way. It's just, you know, it's an old denomination, right? So so what do you do? I, I'm i not touching that with a 10-foot pole. I mean, I don't, I don't know what to do. You can keep doing quietly within, but even if you do something, there are going to be people within here who aren't going to like it. Part of this communion, right? So what do you do? I mean, that's... That's a ver- it's easier to have it handed down from a denominational hierarchy to say this is what it means to teach children, but you're on the ground doing it and you're sensing a different kind of need. So what do you do? that's to me that's one way of encapsulating the whole problem with the um, organ- organized church. you you have those kinds of problems, you
2: know
0: but I think I think oh go ahead, Ken
2: I was going to say I, you know I, what a, what a good question that is because I think that particularly within our, um, within our tribes, um, DNA is the idea that we kind of program kids with all the right answers. Right. And, and then we don't understand why when they go to college and they, they get different answers there, why it, why it rocks their world. Um, you just got to have faith is the, is usually the standard comeback on that. And, um, you know I, <laughs> or the
3: parents didn 't do their job yeah the
2: parents didn 't right. teach well enough the sabbath school teacher the the elementary school that was you know that we p- dumped tons of money into didn 't didn 't prepare our child and, and while we don 't recognize that we tied the hands of the of the elementary school by not allowing them to teach curriculum that differed from our viewpoints and then discouraged thought in different directions and one of the things that I'm committed to and I want you to, that I really believe in, is I believe that we shouldn't tell kids that we know the answers. Mm, I, I think that it's okay to say this is dad's understanding of this. But if you come to a different opinion, dad loves you and is glad that you're thinking for yourself. I remember my child was, my son Eric was probably about five or six years old. And he, um, he came up and he said, Dad, I don't know if I believe in God. And I, I kind of thought I knew what was going on. I thought he was probably just trying to see what kind of reaction I was going to give him. And I and I said, Good for you, Eric. <laughs> and that was not the reaction I think he'd expected. Wait, I said, right. Good for you. I said, Tell me why you don't believe in God. And we had a really great conversation about it. He said, well, there's this, 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 and this. And I said, okay, well, that's cool. Have you thought about any alternatives to those questions? Are, are there any other things there that, that could go in the opposite direction of there being a God? Well, yeah, there's this, 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 and this. And I said, good for you, Eric. You're on the right road. As long as you've thought it out, I'm behind you. Hmm. As long as you thought about it. I think a religion that cannot stand
1: can, I'm, I'm saying, can our organization have that conversation? I get that. right, right. That's exactly the point. If you're having a conversation in your home, but, but, then, is but. Are you organizationally going to have that conversation where Sabbath but, school teachers, as, as, a, as your Sabbath school teacher, yes. I think this, but if you want to think differently,
2: let's. And that's what I'm telling you, as senior pastor, yes. <laughs> Sabbath school pa- Sabbath school teachers have my support in saying that. Uh, you're soon do, to be former pastors. Yeah, so I said, so. So. <laughs> um, <laughs>
3: <laughs> but, but, by the way, did you but, put a lot of stuff on your application? Yeah, yeah I did. Mean, so if you have any jobs <laughs> up for <where> your... <laughs>
2: but, see, the funny thing about it is that I, you probably won't find anybody who likes the doctrines of the Adventist church more than me. And the reason I'm not afraid to have that conversation is because I'm confident in what I believe. When you're not confident in what you believe, and I challenge anybody who wants to fire me to go ahead and say this, if you're not confident in what you believe, that's when you don't want to have debate about it. That's mm. when we shut down debate. That's when, well, we can't think about this. Mm. But if you're confident in what you believe, I, believed, I believe in, in God. It wasn't saying, good for you, Eric, don't believe in God. I was saying, I know there's a God, and I know that in my life, you're going to see him show up. I know in my life, you'll see him show up, in, whether it's today, tomorrow, or a year or 10 years from now, whatever. You'll see him show up in my life, and I have confidence in a God that's big enough to come through. And organizationally, what I've discovered is I can't control anything other than what I'm in charge of. And sometimes I can't even control that if there's somebody who's in charge of me. And, and for those of you who wanted to fire me here, just listening to the podcast out of context, because I know these things can get clipped, <laughs> hear the whole context of what I'm saying. I believe in what the Adventist Church teaches. I'm just not scared to have my kids question it. And the and, and neither were the founders of our church, might I add. And so we don't have to be afraid of science. We don't have to be afraid of other denominations. We don't have to be afraid of people within our denomination that believe different things. There are people that I don't really enjoy my kids listening to within our denomination because they have a different slant on things. But if they want to listen to them, go for it. Listen to it, because if my faith isn't strong enough, if what, I believe, if what I believe isn't strong enough to test of scrutiny, then what is it? And, and, the, and can we also admit that sometimes good people just see the, see, have completely different answers, even though they're both incredibly intelligent? I mean, I have some fantastically intelligent atheist friends. They're not dumb they're not dumb at all they've thought through they've come to a different conclusion than i have and they're still my friend and why do we why do we get hung up on that and i know that why we get hung up with our kids because we want our kids to be in heaven with us and that's what we want but if god was willing to go ahead and let his kids have free will why wouldn't we do the same
0: i Mm -hmm. I, I just want to say
7: maybe maybe a little bit okay it may
0: be tied kind of a little
3: bit to a, a, a theology that still this still goes back to I have to believe the
1: right things in order to be there a, as opposed to it's God's gift he's taking care of it it's ours for free we we still we still have these little embedded emblems that if I believe the right stuff and I have it all straight then I can then I'll get to heaven which may not have anything i mean whether whether or not i believe what this church teaches is not salvific or not salvific. You know, that salvific is part of the teachings of this church, but that's, there's a bunch that's not. <laughs> you know, that, yeah. So I think you're absolutely right.
0: Well, and I wanted to say that. Thank you, Andy, for that, um, for that, because I think you're, you're spot on because I know there are a ton of people from my generation that were taught that this is the, the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And if this isn't what you believe, then you may as well leave now and there's the door and don't come back. Because what we don't have anything for you, because if this, this is, this is, it was all selvonic every, every, everything. And so to, to put that on someone who already at, at a certain age and at a young age is not equipped to deal with the rejection right. and oftentimes even coming from parents. And then when, when your community has no support and thinks the exact same way, and there are a ton of groups. It doesn't have to be just teenagers. This, this goes to all kinds of people that feel marginalized by the church. And if there's no, if there's no room for discussion, there's not even room or a – it has to be comfortable. You have to know that it's a safe place because I'm not going to come and ask you to just have one more person dump on me. Mm-hmm. Because I've had I've had fifty dump on me already. I'm not going to do it, and then I'm going to leave anyway. So what the the right. other the other side of it is, you can you can be rigid and just watch people walk away with no chance to even ask the question on the exit interview. Like what could we have done better? Yeah, you know, th- there's no chance, and then you have to wait. And that's every every time we do a podcast, I, I feel like I talk to people my heart goes out to people that are on the outside beltway mm-hmm. that are just waiting for that invitation to come back yeah. because of the, this very thing where it's, it's just it's my way or the highway. Well, uh, just very briefly, I'm not going to go into a long uh, harangue here, but um,
3: so I think, uh, Ken, you and Rand, you're, you're offering two alternative versions of the Adventist narrative. Yours, we've always been a certain way where we've been able to question things, there are other narratives, and you voice it at the beginning, you're not agreeing with it, but you voiced at the beginning that, well, this is what we believe, and if you're not going to believe that you're not an Adventist, yeah. right? The question is, which narrative, I hate to put it this way, is going to win? Who's going to have the right to shape the narrative? That is an extremely difficult question, because usually to people in power, throughout history, the winners write the narratives. The so people in power, people with the money, people with the clout, they write the narratives how can you write a narrative for the denomination that's different and let it be heard i and believe that's that's
0: a hard thing to do i believe that's in community and i believe that people as we have grown at whole life church i believe that as we continue to grow because it's a message of inclusion it's a message of hope it's a message of love and family and that there's room for that discussion eventually we, other people will take notice and gravitate towards that message. And I feel like that is the only way is to legitimately live it out. And if you're not,
7: it's just it's just ta- it's just talk. There's no walk. Yeah. So I think that'll happen. Mm-hmm. Sonny, tell us what wow, you have. My brain is going into all kinds of different directions. I'm not going to ask questions about coffee. So relax, <laughs> internal joke. <Okay>. Um, <laughs> So I was raised in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Uh, I was born into it. My grandfather was a pastor in the Dominican Republic. is considered a, a pioneer. I was born into a pseudo, somewhat conservative family, you know, compulsory worship in the morning, and in the evening, that type of stuff. As life goes on, um, hopefully none of my family members are listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> this congregation is probably the only thing that sort of keeps me within the church. Um, you know, I heard your experience about your feelings about the denomination, but I've also hear about your love for the Bible. Mm-hmm. if I understood you correctly. And that's my challenge. I mean, I believe in the man in the in this in you know in the portrait there. For those who are not here, is we have a there's a picture of Jesus here.
2: Clint Eastwood, Jesus, by the way. Just <laughs> so can, uh, <laughs> it's it, a great it, picture. It's, it's it, a great it, picture. It, for those of you who who are not able to see this visually, the picture behind us looks like Clint Eastwood with a beard. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, just Follow saying.
0: us at Whole Life O R L, and I will post a picture of this Okay, yeah, right. and no 44 Magnum, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. So,
7: I, I believe in Jesus and i believe that the bible is the word but quite honestly for me to pick up the book is it gathers it requires such an amount of energy and but then there's a side of me that feels that because i am not reading the book i'm sort of wasting my time because somehow i'm not gathering out the points i mean how mm-hmm. can you pretend to believe in someone you don't want to read about yeah Right. <laughs> much less expect that person to advocate right, but, for you, right? you know. Right. Um, I mean, I believe in grace. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I guess right. the, the bottom line question is, especially for one who has born into the church or any denomination, because I'm sure I'm not alone, how do you get to really love the Bible, really have an interest, really want it to believe it, you know, to read it just for the sake of reading, not because somehow you're expecting to earn points or to get right. something out of it. Mm, good which is, thank you, Sonny, question. which
3: is um, how I think that's been caught and taught in churches where you do get brownie points. It, did you do your Bible reading today? How much did you do? <laughs> did you pray? Well, yeah, all that kind of stuff. And um, it becomes a, a, a mechanism, but you know, we carry that with us. And I think it's fair to say uh, I don't want to overspeak, but hearing you, Sunny, um, you've been traumatized in a sense from the Bible and from expectations of Bible reading. Trauma is a big word, but I think it covers a whole lot of things. Where, like, I, I, it's sort of like, you know, breaking up with an abusive spouse or something. I want to go back, but I don't dare, you know. And it's, and I, and I think sometimes. I think it's okay to walk away from the Bible because you have to press reset on that too. And I think God understands. I don't think God's waiting for you. (sighs) When's Sunday gonna start reading his Bible again? Because I'm sorely disappointed in him. And yeah, I know he has a history and all these things he's had to work through, but I don't care. I just wanted to perform the right tasks to make me happy. Is that really what's happening? I don't believe that for one second. I think God understands our humanity and understands I, okay, there are times I don't want to read the Bible either, right? And but I don't want to feel as if God is looking over me from the outside, ready to pounce. I think God is, I think understands me better than I do, and I'm not rebelling. I just can't, right? There are parts of the Bible I just don't want to read, and I don't, right? Um, somebody asked that question not long ago in another context, and. I, I just said walking away from it for a while might be the best thing to do. I mm. think sometimes people have to walk away from church because people are traumatized in church. Absolutely. They have to walk away. And coming back, that can happen, but it may take time. And you know, then somebody says, yeah, I think I'm ready to start reading the Bible again. Where should I start? And I said, there's something that impelled you to want to read the Bible again? Find that. Is it something about Jesus? Read a gospel. It, there, there's no program. There's no, I'm going to start with Genesis and totally crap out by the middle of Exodus and I'll be done reading the Bible again for the rest of my life, right? If you get through Genesis, right? So um, I I just, I just think, you know, you really believe in what you believe in if you believe in grace, right? If God is real, what if God doesn't hate you? What if God likes you? (laughs) Forget love, which is he just likes you and understands you and understands all of us and You're clearly trying to do the right thing and do your best. But maybe to do it, to to try to do it without a sense of an angry deity looking over you, but rather someone who actually loves you and delights in you and wants the best for you. And that might be, if you're honest with yourself and you say, I can't read this right now, that's okay. If you don't want to read it, you know what? Sit there for five minutes. If you can't pray, try not to think. Just just try to be quiet. Anything that you do to connect with God is a good thing to do. Absolutely. Right? It doesn't have to be a programmatic Bible reading. That gets okay. old, too. I, poor, poor Melanie was waiting to make sure she gets up. With, no, that's fine. You're fine. Just, I'm not... Oh, gosh. <laughs> no, I look like a...
5: Yes, can There we go. Well, be an it. angry yep. deity. I know. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Sit down. You have displeased me with your forward moving to the mic. Uh,
4: you might regret letting me ask I you. It.
3: I could just ignore you. This is, a very <laughs> full, <laughs>
4: this is a very full circle experience for me okay. with you. Because yeah. I did come to Ormond Beach when you were... Five years ago, Mm -hmm. and I was surrounded by all Sunday keepers, and so I asked you that question because I really admire, um, especially that the the book that you wrote, the the Bible tells me so. Mm -hmm. It is um, as an ethnic Christian, Mm -hmm. um, it's not like how I've been attending this church. Like, uh, if you were an ethnic um, uh, member, you just kind of like the pastor tell you, and that's what. It is. Mm -hmm. you don't get to question it if you do question it you might you know not be feeling welcome back or Mm -hmm. as such and so i'm very glad that you wrote that book because it is very freeing and then being able to be a part of this community where i mean sabbath school i've said some really off really weird questions or comments and i've always been welcomed back and I've never been asked to leave. Uh, so I really admire your work and that the scope of like your, you know, the education that you have. And so again, I'm here with all my Sabbath keepers. Mm-hmm. So I guess my one question for you would be that, you know, how why is there so many denominations and then wh- how do you feel about the Sabbath, like the fourth commandment? Yeah. Yeah. Well
3: I I mean those are two questions. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Um, <laughs> we can't kick her out because I, she yeah. cooks way too well. Yeah, I know. Yep. I've seen that. Yep. I, I think denominationalism is an inevitable um, outgrowth of the fact that people and cultures and psychologies are different. Um, I have left churches that I have hated and other people have come there because for them it's a breath of fresh air. right? So I, I, I don't think there's one true denomination. I think denominations reflect our humanity. Um, what's that hymn that says manifold witness? Great is our faithfulness. Is that you know manifold witness? I think the human um, human cultures and human churches and denominations are a manifold witness to God, and they're diverse. And I think God likes diversity, right? And by the way, not to belittle what you said, but um, I know uh, ethnic minority Christian in this culture, but we're all ethnic Christians, unless you're Middle Eastern right? I mean, except for the yeah. beginning. Unless you're Jewish, I think we're all sort of ethnic Christians, and we just, you know, white men especially forget that sometimes. But um, I'm trying very hard not to. I mean, you know, it's hard sometimes, but I'm trying very hard to remember that I'm, the world doesn't need me or any of us, quite frankly. So, um, so yeah, I think um, that, that's, I think denominations are fine, you know, and, and I, I, I've needed a liturgical context for 12, 13 years now Whereas at other times I would go to a church that has a worship service like I experienced this morning, right? And whatever, you know, it's just, you know, we're just people doing our best. So um, the other thing about the Sabbath, um, I've really, I don't know. uh, I've had different opinions in my life and I can't really come down on one thing, but I do think having a day that's different, that you, where you have different kinds of... Like, I try not to do schoolwork on Sunday. Sometimes I feel I have to, and my more Sabbatarian friends say, no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to do that. I'm like, you're probably right, but I also believe in grace. So I'm just going to finish this thing this morning. Um, um, but I think... Uh, I mean to be perfectly honest, I have this thought in my mind here. When I was in graduate school, and you know, there were like two Christians in my department, um, I envied people who didn't have to go to church <laughs> with and spend the whole day. I actually envied them. And I said, one day, I just want to get up on a Sunday morning. I'm sorry. We have the heretical Sabbath. The rest of the Christian church has the heretical <laughs> Sabbath on Sunday. Um, relax, people. Just, there was not the laughter I was expecting there. Okay. It, doesn't, it doesn't matter to me. Whatever you want to do. But yesterday, I looked at the program for the weekend. I said, worship 1130 Saturday. I was like, what are they talking about? Oh, wait. Adventist. Yeah, that's right. Sorry, that's we're, right. We're, <laughs> I get it. Okay. Um, but, you know, I, and I think... Uh, I have had to unplug from the concept of Sabbath and to try to replug myself back into it Um, because it becomes, it can become uh, an oppressive duty. Mm. Maybe it should be a little bit. You know, maybe it should take some discipline to sort of set your your tasks away and to, to spend Sunday differently. But you cross that line between discipline and the whole guilt and shame thing about trying to keep it. And so you know i do believe that god has our best interests in mind and understands who we are as people so i don't think that you know like the story um you know danny that you told this morning about uh, the boy who broke the sabbath and drowned right You're A childhood friend of yours right i don't you know i don't think that happens to you if you quote break the sabbath i also think Um, theologically, I I do, I'm I'm sort of more with like Calvinists here, which say the Lord's day rather than the Sabbath, because the Sabbath is a stricter kind of thing. That's largely an Old Testament idea. By the way, I'm not anti-Old Testament. It's just, you know, that's why Jews have discussions about, okay, don't work on the Sabbath. What's work? How far can you walk? Can you do this? Can you do that? And I think traditionally Christians maybe have not felt the need to have that kind of a conversation, but the Lord's Day is transferred from Saturday to Sunday. I'm not arguing against Saturday, Sabbath. I'm just explaining my position. That's why I come at it a little bit differently perhaps, that it is a day set aside for worship and maybe just doing different things. But some people say, and for being with your family. Where's that in the Bible? Yeah, I mean, we make things up all the time anyway of how to keep these things, right? And and part of the problem is that... um, the Bible is really not very helpful in even talking about what you do on the Sabbath. Even if it says don't work, it fails to define work. So you have the whole history of Judaism, which is like, you know, you know Talmudic Judaism, there are 36 things, I think it's 32 or 36 things that constitute work. And they thought about it, like you can't sew, you can't do this, you can't do that, right? But it's hard to know even how to keep the Sabbath. And Sometimes, in some places, it's, you know, you basically spend all day in church, you know, two services, three services in between. You don't take, again, you don't take your suit and tie off. You're not really suit and tie people, I'm gathering, okay? So you don't take the suit and tie off. It's just, there, there's a lot of stuff going around that. So for me, I think the idea of Sabbath rest or Lord's Day rest, I think is a beautiful idea. Um, but it's, it's, I don't want it to become another thing that I have, to, I have to do or God's going to be mad at me for not doing it. Yep. I might get disadvantaged. I might suffer from not doing it, but I don't think God's zapping me. At least I hope not. I'm sort of banking on that idea if I'm wrong, <laughs> I am in deep, 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 deep
2: trouble. Deep trouble. We'll oh, talk boy. To, we'll talk to you more later. Yes, <laughs> I, I did.
0: All right. We have gone, we, we've been at this for just over an hour, and I want to make sure that Kim... Uh, that we get your comment or your question, and then I just want to be respectful of Pete's time and make sure that we get him out of here. So come on up to the mic. Let's uh, let's get one more in here. Yeah. Thank you for your grace. Uh, just wondering if you could address the issue of wife suffering, which is. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
5: I, I, I know you're suffering if you
3: could wrap it up in about two minutes yeah, sure. that'd be great. That's, that's like the question, you know the philosophy question define God give three examples, you know <laughs> All right in my, my quick opinion. I think you we can't su- separate the idea of suffering from an evolutionary paradigm for how the world works cosmically geologically and biologically and some, I mean, I've written, I've read, and I have written nothing, but I've read theologians who really think about stuff like this. And again, this is my opinion. I really want to, you asked, Ken, wherever you, I, you shouldn't have asked, but as my, my answer is that there's something about death and suffering that is sort of the cost of doing business in an evolutionary framework. I don't really understand that, but that seems to be the cost of it. And at least the gospel has something to say about suffering that God enters into our suffering on the cross and a shameful suffering that is completely and utterly counterintuitive, this is not how you start a religion in the first century. Oh, by the way, you know, come to our religion. Our founder was nailed to a Roman cross, which means he lost, yeah, and our God wants that. That's the that's shameful thing. You just don't do that, right? So I, I think the gospel can speak into that question a little bit, The problem is that we are sentient beings with consciousness, and and we think backwards and forwards in time and we think of what could happen and what we've lost. And the suffering for us is so emotional in ways that it might not be for my cat, right? Or for the stink bugs that are in my house right now. It's different. So I think we have that problem that might not have been a problem several hundred thousand years ago and that's also the cost of a developed consciousness which is also, people say, part of an evolutionary framework, but we're becoming more in tune to the deity as, as time goes on. So that is, I'm going to guess that might not be the answer um, that anybody was really <laughs> hoping for here, but that's how I think through it. I can't think through these things apart from how I, I think most people understand the larger world around us, right? I can't, I can't um, answer that question from a point of view Of thinking about, okay, God is up there looking down and is directing good things or bad things to happen to certain people. You get cancer, you don't. I have a problem with that because I'm not sure what up even means and with the cosmos that is almost literally infinite, that God is somehow above and around or whatever, I don't, I I can't talk about a, a God up there sitting on the throne. They could in the Bible. But that's okay because God and his wisdom, for whatever reason, these are the people who wrote down a lot of the stuff and they had their metaphors. They had their worldviews. Ours is different. The question is, how are we going to deal with that? And a question like that, I can't even begin to address it in my mind without, frankly, thinking of everything else. And that's the hard part. You you have to think of everything to answer anything if you're going to talk about God's involvement. And I can't mystery. Thank you. I don't have to figure, I, I can try, I can riff on it, but I, I, I simply can't understand it. But I will say the problem of suffering is the perennial problem in the history of religions. And it was easier when you had many gods, because you could blame it on one, because <laughs> the other one's not helping you out. As soon as you're a monotheist, that's when the question comes up. Yeah. And a theolo- I'll leave with this, a theologian friend of mine, his name is Tom Ord, O-O-R-D. Anybody know who he is? need to know who Tom, he's a great guy, he explains things really on a bottom level, but he is among many theologians who say things like, because God is love, God does not coerce, because love does not coerce, right? You have spouses, do you love your spouse? Do you ever try to coerce them into something? You're not loving them at that point, right? (laughs) Love doesn't coerce, love respects, love lets things pan out, and if evolution is God's way of creating, This is how it works, and this is the cost of doing business for a universe that has given us indescribable beauty and diversity on our planet and in the universe around us. This is the cost of having the kind of universe that we have, but there's something about the gospel that can speak into that,
0: right? Excellent. All right. So I want to, first off, thank you so much for taking this extra time uh, way above and beyond. Thank (laughs) you. Thank you. Oh no no! Sit down, sit down. <laughs> <laughs> the flowers. Oh. <laughs> um, so I want to say first off, thank you. This is uh, this is a, it's a treat for us to get a chance to pick your brain a little bit more in dialogue and have conversation. And for everyone that came out, thank you. Um, this is a treat for us. Usually, it's just Jeff and Ken and I stuck in a small. Walton Tony oh you don't the, set up t- here every t- week no. so this, <laughs> is, this is a real treat Yeah, real, no, it's a real real treat so thank you everyone and uh, at home I in the show notes if you swipe up in today's episodes I will uh, talk to uh, Pete in just a minute and we'll get some links for where you can find his books where you can find his website where he's on social media all those things so swipe up and we'll have all that information in today's show notes so thanks again and thank you all for just showing up and joining us we had a great time thank you so much
3: thank you